Well, good morning. Here we are, another Sunday, another week where we continue in Matthew's gospel. For those of you that have been around Good Shepherd the last few weeks, uh, you're aware that all summer long, we are journeying through Matthew's gospel, and this week we are in chapter 10. We're focused on the journey of discipleship all summer long. We'll be exploring the journey of the disciples as they are learning from Jesus on the way. On the way. Can you imagine for just a moment what it must have been like for one of those original disciples called by Jesus? They were in for this grand education. A disciple is simply a word that means a learner, somebody who is committed to learning, a student. The disciples of Jesus, however, we're not going to receive their education as you and I have received our educations, right? With a desk and a pen and a pencil or maybe today an iPad for some of our young learners, a chalkboard with a teacher. Jesus did not set up his school of learning to be information regurgitation. That wasn't what Jesus was interested in. Now certainly, as we read through the Gospels, Matthew in particular, we see the teaching ministry of Jesus unfolding. And there are times, like in Matthew chapter 10 today, where Jesus is lecturing, pontificating. He's giving a pep talk. He's giving a speech. He's sharing critical information and encouragement for his disciples. Information is being communicated by Christ to the disciples for their edification, for their growth, for their learning. But we know that what made Jesus truly a remarkable teacher is that Jesus understood for his disciples that for their formation, it wasn't just information. It, they also needed experiential learning. They needed to learn through experience. And now for those of us that have lived a little bit of life, and some of you have lived even more life than me, how many of us know that it's true that we can learn something conceptually, intellectually, and we can know it to be true, but that we haven't really learned the lesson until we've gone through an experience? It's one thing to know something is true. It's another thing to experience it, to live it. We can know that God is with us through suffering. It's a whole other thing to go through suffering and to see the hand of God beside you. And Jesus understood this for his disciples, right? That's why so much of their formation, their education, was on the way, along the road, as Jesus is traveling with his disciples from village to village, synagogue to synagogue. Think of how many of those stories we continue to tell about the experiences Jesus had with his disciples on the hillside where he gathered loaves and fish and through an object lesson 
He taught them about God's radical generosity. Think of the stories about how Jesus along the road at the well talking to a woman that culturally he should have never been talking to. Well, here in Matthew 10, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the experiences that are soon to come. One of the things I believe that made Jesus the most remarkable teacher of all time is that Jesus would give information and then he would send out the disciples to go learn and stumble and trip and fall and then he would be there to gather them again and pick them back up. And if you were to read Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 11, you would see that Jesus is soon sending his disciples out two by two, four by four, to go into the towns and villages and to do some very simple things. Jesus wants his disciples to go preach, teach, heal the sick, share the good news, bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, Jesus is now releasing his disciples, not permanently, that will happen at the Ascension and Pentecost, but he's practicing it now with them. You have seen me teach and preach, you've seen me heal, you've witnessed how people have brought their sick out to me from the region. I want you to now go into the towns and villages with this message. And in this final moment before sending them out, he gives them just a bit of encouragement. Did you hear it in the gospel? Whoever whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Whoever doesn't welcome you, well, shake the dust from your feet, it says in another gospel. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to look for people of peace. People that display God's radical hospitality. Hospitality is the word of encouragement for the disciples. As you go and as you embark on this journey of faith to carry on my ministry, there's one thing you need to be mindful of because you're not gonna go with a purse filled with money. You're not gonna go with all the resources you need. You're going to go out into the world with an open heart and I want you to look for people that will welcome you in, will be hospitable. And I love the example Jesus gives, a cold, cup of water. So simple, right? Jesus says whoever gives even a cold cup of water to one of my followers will certainly, certainly they will receive their reward from God. Sometimes in our life of faith, we buy into the notion or we tend to believe this false truth That being a disciple of Jesus, living and loving like him in a modern, confusing world has to be something that is overly complex or complicated. We have to do all these mental gymnastics. Now there's no doubt we live in a complicated and confusing world that has changed quite a bit since the time Jesus walked the earth. But in other ways, it's absolutely the same. There were no rocket ships or companies like SpaceX that were doing exploratory travel. There was no such thing as iPads and an internet and an interconnected global world. There were none of these common phenomena that we know to be true. And yet, the nature of the human heart was exactly the same. And Jesus says, 
Keep it really simple. Your ministry will be effective when hospitality is present. What is the best cup of water you've ever drank? Have you ever even thought about it? What's the best glass of water you've ever had? Can you think of a moment when you, you truly were thirsty? I mowed the lawn yesterday, right between little tiny rainstorms, little sprouts of rain. It was humid. It was nasty. <laughs> my back was sweating. My socks were wet. Ugh. I went inside and I got a cold cup of water and man, I just guzzled that down in like four gulps. Have you been there? That still wasn't the best glass of water I've ever had. Maybe you can think of a moment or maybe drinking a cold cup of water has become so ordinary, so mundane that the question just seems silly to ask. When I first came home from the war in Iraq, I did something that was totally marked by my hubris and my arrogance. I registered for the Memphis Marathon. I came home in late October of 2007. The Memphis Marathon is historically the first weekend in December. I gave myself about six weeks of training, and as a young soldier, fresh off a combat deployment, I said, I can run a full 26.2 miles. I've been serving in Iraq. What can't I do? (laughs) Foolish me. So I had a few weeks of training. I drove down to Memphis, and I think a part of registering for that marathon, now looking back all these years later, nearly 20 years later, I think a part of it was a form of therapy and processing this crazy experience I had been through. I had all of this internal energy that needed an outlet. Now, I ran high school track, but I didn't run cross country. I had never even registered for a 5K, let alone a 10K, let alone a half marathon. And here I am, young Lorne, saying I'm going to run 26.2 miles with no training. So I laced my shoes up. I think it was December 5th that year, the marathon. And I'm there with all of these other runners and racers. And I head out and fueled by adrenaline and hubris. (laughs) I start running way faster than I should have. I knew nothing about pace. I think the first mile was like 6.15. That's a fast mile. The second mile was like 6.30. Still way too fast. And as I'm running, I'm noticing, now I've never run a long distance race before in my life, that all along the course, every mile or two miles, there's a little table set up with five to 10 volunteers that are super eager. And there's little cups of water on the table, water stations. And as I start out on my run, all I can think of is, you've been told, Lauren, that breaking four hours is like, a good thing. So you better break four hours so you don't have time for the water stations. Do you see where this is going? So I'm running, 
past the first aid station, past the second aid station. Now they're handing out the goos, the little packets of like um, sugar, basically, to get quick carbs into your system so you can keep going and burning and, and going. I pass those up. And now I'm at mile seven, <laughs> at mile eight, and my pace is like a nine-minute mile. <sighs> and I start wising up. And I start to run past those aid stations. And now it took me a while to recognize what was really happening in the race. Later in the race, as I was passing station by station by station, I didn't skip one of them. I kept running, I kept jogging, but now I would veer over to the table and I'd, like, like, like an Olympic baton being passed, right? Do you have the image in your mind? Here is a volunteer, super eager, water spilling, cups are everywhere, water's all over, some runners are grabbing the water and just throwing it on them to cool down and I'm trying to grab these waters and I'd grab it and I'd drink it and I'd throw it down and I'd keep running and mile after mile, After mile now, as we're heading into mile 17, mile 18, mile 19, I'm just counting the steps until the next cup of water can be put in my hand. And somewhere around mile 22, there's the aid station. (sighs) And I'm running and I'm jogging to keep my pace. And now all of these runners are running. I was near this pace group. So all of these runners are together and they all go over and I'm running past the aid station and no one's putting water in my hand. And I get past the table and I had missed the connection. And so I'm looking back with this desperate look on my face. But I still, I'm moving forward. I don't know what, why didn't I just stop and go grab water? I don't know. Again, 22-year-old Lauren. (laughs) And I'm running and this kid who's working the aid station, he's probably junior high, He sees the desperation in my face and he grabs. Now, I think in my mind's eye, in my memory, slow down, slow motion now. Put on Rocky music, right? (laughs) This kid grabs the water and he comes out from behind the table and I'm barely snail's pace moving forward. Get me the water. And this kid comes running, heroically trying not to spill the water. And he puts it in my hand and we make eye contact. And he looked at me and he said, you can do it. And I took the water and I threw it back. And I said, thank you. And I continued the race. Why do I share that with you? I have come to believe that the kingdom of God looks like a race volunteer handing a thirsty runner a cold cup of water. I saw God in that race. And I have seen God in every marathon or half marathon I've done ever since. And I have come to believe that our mission as disciples of Jesus is as intentional and as simple as looking for those in our family, in our community, in our world that are thirsting. And our mission is as bold and as humble as giving those who thirst living water. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
to see the people and the circumstances and the communities in our world that are thirsty. They're thirsty. Their throats are scratchy and they're dry for grace. How many people do we know live and operate? How many of us, even though intellectually we've known about God's grace our whole life, fail to live with an ethic of grace for ourselves? How many of us and how many out there in the world wake up every day thinking you shouldn't have said that? Why did you do it? They beat themselves up over and over and over again. They're their own worst critic. They live their lives in such a way as if they're keeping this cosmic score with God. And their throat's scratchy and it's dry. And what they truly need is the word of God proclaimed to them that while we've messed everything up, God's love is unfailing. It is like a never-ending fountain that is offering grace upon grace upon grace. What are the other things that you and I struggle with, that the world struggles with? having a hard time finding forgiveness, having a hard time living a generous life. All of the ills of our world, Jesus came to offer true, abundant, living water. This image of living water is all throughout our scriptures. It's in the Old Testament as God's people are walking in the desert and their throats are scratchy and they're dry and they don't know if God will provide for them and Moses strikes the rock and from the rock, from the hardest, driest thing in the world comes a river gushing. In Revelation, at the end of the book, the primary image of God's reign of peace is a river running through the heart of a city. The heart of everything you and I have created. Is the river of life, and besides the river of life, there is a tree, the tree of life, and there's fruit growing off of it. The ministry of Jesus is a profound mystery, and it's as simple as a cold cup of water. Now, you know the really good news? The really good news here is that as we travel on our road of life, because life is a marathon, not a sprint, amen? It's a marathon, not a sprint. And as we travel that road of life and we begin to think to ourselves, oh, I don't know if I can keep going forward. How will I navigate the reality that my spouse has been diagnosed with the terminal cancer? I don't know if I can take one more step forward as we travel the road of life and we wonder and we beat ourselves up whether or not we're going to make we're going to make the first chair in the band or we're going to make the team are we going to be included and accepted in junior high and we wonder if we'll truly find friends as we travel the road of life and our bosses are putting pressure on us to perform and we're not meeting the numbers, as we travel the road of life and we get near the end of it and we think, my goodness, I don't have the resources I need to live comfortably in retirement, as we travel the road of life and we worry about the changes that are coming into our world, as we scratch our heads and our throats get dry, we feel parched, 
One thing I know is certain, that our God gets up from behind the race table and our God grabs cold cups of water and our God is a God that runs after us. Our God is the one that runs after us, catching up to us as we travel this confusing road of life. And our God is the one making eye contact with us saying, here, drink, be refreshed, rest. This is the ministry of Jesus, to give living water to all the world. And in just a few minutes, we are going to get up and we're going to come down this runway <laughs> to this table where God is going to offer God's very self, his body, his blood for our nourishment so that we can be filled and fed so that we can take one more step forward and head toward one more aid station. Why does weekly worship matter so much? I think it's sort of like a marathon. We all are running our own races, right? Weekly worship is that set point in our lives each week, like the aid stations along life's journey, where we come to be refreshed, we come to be filled, we come to receive the very gifts of God like a cold cup of water handed from a race volunteer to a runner's hand. Every week that we gather here at Good Shepherd through the word, through meal, through song, it is God's way of saying, here is your refreshment so that you can live, you can have peace, you can have rest, and you can be filled up to run the next mile of your journey. So church, as you come forward this week and you come to this table, know, know that God loves you. God cares about you. God sees your fatigue. God sees the strain in your muscles, the strain in your heart. And God wants nothing more than to fill you with good things. So may you cling to your faith in the crucified and risen Lord. May you know that God loves you. And I do too. Amen.